The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Robin, it's great to see you. Romain, it's great to be with you. Thanks for coming down to our world headquarters down here in uh, downtown New York City. Absolutely. It's an amazing headquarters. And of course, you are really at the seat of where uh, basically the U.S. financial industry began and the history uh, of this company, of Bank of New York, Bank of New York Mellon. And of course, its roots going all the way back to Alexander Hamilton 240 years ago. Yeah, so we were founded, as you said, next year's our 240 uh, anniversary, uh, which we're really proud of. Alexander Hamilton, just uh, about a mile from here, uh, five years before the signing of the Constitution. I think as he looked out today on New York City, he probably wouldn't recognize it at all. What he might recognize, though, is all the innovation that we do here at the Bank of New York Mellon. And we're really proud of the fact that we've really been driving through all of that over the course of the past few recent years, we've been doing real-time payments, we've been launching new wealth uh, technology platforms, investing in AI. It really is not the company that he started with, um, but I'd like to think that he'd be pretty proud of what we've been doing. It's interesting to think about just how much the world has changed over those 240 years, and more importantly, uh, all of the crises, the wars, the economic issues that have come and gone since then, and yet BNY Mellon is still here. We came into this year with I guess, a lot of challenges economically. We ended up with a regional banking collapse to a certain extent here. What sort of gets a bank like this, a financial firm like this, I should say, to 240 years without falling victim to all of those crises that come along the way? Well, we talk a lot here at the firm about strategy being important, but we also talk about the fact that execution is important and culture is really uh, a key driver of our success over time. And if you want to get old in industry these days, mm. you have to recognize that you both have to be an innovator, but you also have to take care of making sure that you're a remarkably strong institution. And for us, we view resilience as a commercial attribute. That can be operational resilience. We've seen that more recently. You talked about a lot of things that have happened in the world. We saw that more recently with some uh, bumps in the treasury market as a result of one uh, fairly large institution having some issues. Uh, we've also seen it earlier in the year, as you mentioned, with, uh, with, with some of the smaller regional banks uh, having some issues. And so we've provided our balance sheet, the strength of our platforms, our client focus to really wrap ourselves around our clients mm -hmm. and to help them make their way through all these events. And that's what gives us the longevity and the success that we've enjoyed. When you look back to the regional banking collapse, the collapse of SVB and of course uh, Signature, First Republic and some of the other banks that got caught up in that, were you actually surprised that that happened? Well, what I would say is the Fed has had a lot of work to do as it's combated inflation and those types of changes. We've had over 500 basis points of increase in Fed funds rate in a fairly short period of time. That's going to create dislocations. And I think what that shines a light on is that you really have to be, if you're a large bank, you have to be very focused on asset and liability management. You have to be good at it too. Mm -hmm. And you have to be focused on being prepared. 
You said earlier on, Romain, there's so many different things going on in the world these days. Mm. We've got wars, we've got um, significant gyrations in economies, we've had a big run-up in the stock market, we've had a big run-up in rates, we've had record issuance from the Treasury. Mm -hmm. And so that teaches us, and we've had this lesson over a long period of time, that you really have to be prepared for the unexpected. Mm -hmm. So while I hope I know what might be happening in the future, mm -hmm. we are not in the predictions business. Mm -hmm. We're in the preparedness business. And I think that that is mm -hmm. the lesson that I would take from all of these things that we've seen this year. What type of economy are you preparing for right now heading into 2024? Well, inherent in the word being prepared for all the eventualities is you have to be prepared for lots of different types of the economy. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly rooting for the fact that we'll have a soft landing. And I think the Fed deserves, frankly, an A grade for all the things they've done this year and how they've managed the nuance, the Treasury as well. They've issued, they've managed to issue a little bit in the shorter end of the curve. That's helped markets. Mm -hmm. um, so things so far, so good. We've had a good run up in the stock market this year. I think we can feel quite pleased with where we are. Mm -hmm. But you said it, there's a lot going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Things can take a different turn. And so for us, it's really about making sure that we're partnering with clients and we're using our platforms, our market leading platforms, to be able to wrap ourselves around our clients to be able to help them navigate that. We touch 20% mm -hmm. of all investable assets in the world. We operate in 100 markets across the world. And so being able to really be there for our clients mm -hmm. through the uncertainty, right. that's what allows us to be successful. And that position also gives you a really unique bird's eye view as to the health of the financial system. Is it healthy right now? I think the U.S. economy is really re performed remarkably well. When I visit with clients uh, around the world, it is a common refrain that there are lots of uncertainties in the world, but the U.S. economy has been a place to invest. The people of the country, the innovation that we see here has really been powering us through some of these uncertainties, and it is an investment destination of choice. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen the U.S. economy outperform a little bit this year versus what many of us might have thought at the beginning of the year. There's been a lot of discussion about the role of banks, particularly uh, the systemically important banks, which BNY Mellon uh, is among that group, uh, in the health of the economy going forward. Uh, just last week, you were on Capitol Hill for I, what I think was your sort of inaugural uh, a trip uh, to uh, uh, Capitol Hill for uh, the yeah, oversight that's, hearings. That's right. Congratulations on that. You survived. Thank you. Um, but I am curious about the line of questioning. This ostensibly was about the health of the banking sector, but of course, it really devolved more into a discussion about capital rules, the Basel III uh, endgame here. And there seemed to be a pushback that was almost unanimous amongst you and your uh, seven peers that were up there uh, that day. That, that, was, that those rules, that end game, needs to be watered down just a little bit? I think the message that you really heard from the eight firms, as you say, the largest, uh, most systemically important uh, companies uh, in, in the banking sector in the United States, and many of the policymakers, by the way, was that the U.S. economy is the greatest economy that the world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. And in order to be able to have an economy like that, you need the lifeblood of an economy, which is the investment of capital, mm -hmm. the powering of the economy through the financial system. And we have eight of the strongest banks, thanks in many part to the work that's been done by policymakers and regulators over the past 15 years, mm -hmm. to really make sure that we have a safe and secure banking system. 
But we were also telling the message of the fact that we don't want to mess that up. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that we can continue to support the U.S. economy through everything that comes over the course of the next few years. And that was the common refrain to me last week. If the Basel III endgame rule proposal that came out in July, if that stands as was proposed, does that hurt your business? Look, I think that policymakers are being very thoughtful about this, and I do expect that it will evolve a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I'll give you the way that I think about the metaphor here. We want a safe banking system. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. We want safe cars driving on highways too. Mm -hmm. But we don't make a choice to have them drive at 10 miles an hour because that would reduce freedom of movement. It would devastate the economy. So we make trade-offs mm -hmm. around making sure that we've got the right safety, but at the same time that we can really help to power the economy. And mm -hmm. I think that holds true for banks as well. They need capital. They need liquidity. Yeah. They have it. But we need them to be able to contribute to the economy as well. Are you still in negotiation with regulators and legislators about what comes next with those rules? Well, I think the, the good thing about rulemaking and policymaking is not a negotiation. At the end of the day, policymakers and regulators make the rule. But we're very happy that there's been feedback that's mm -hmm. been taken from the banking sector. But, but you're going to weigh in, too. Of course, we yeah. provide our opinion, yeah. and that's one of the great things about the policymaking yeah. process. We provide our perspective, yeah. and I think we have a good perspective to offer here at the Bank of And Europe. you're not a stranger to Washington. I mean, before you rose to be CEO here, I mean, you spent a lot of time as a risk manager, as a policy person. I even remember when, you're, when it was announced that you were taking over the CEO role here a year or so ago. Uh, your former boss at, at Goldman, Lloyd Blankfein, was very complimentary to you, saying that he was the face that we wanted to put forward in Washington because you were so humble and unassuming and, I guess, had a way of disarming people. Well, look, what we're really about mm -hmm. at BNY Mellon mm -hmm. is our clients mm -hmm. and bringing our platform to serve our clients. Mm -hmm. And so the message that I take to D.C., but also mm -hmm. elsewhere when I travel around the world, mm -hmm. is that we have this incredible platform. We're trying to help our clients being able to make their way in the mm -hmm. world economy. We provide critical services to the world economy, mm -hmm. including right here in the United States. And we want to make sure that the rules and the policy making is keeping us safe. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, allowing us to make sure that the U.S. economy stays the most vibrant in the world. I do want to talk about uh, some of your products, relatively new products as well, particularly in the wealth management space. Uh, a little bit earlier, you, uh, Pershing, your, your unit Pershing, rolled out a new platform called Wove. Uh, explain right. that to me. So uh, across our firm, we think about uh, our business as being a series of different platforms that our clients can then build their businesses on. Mm -hmm. And so the example of Wove is an example of our wealth management infrastructure business. It's software, it's services that help broker dealers and RIAs provide services to all people in America that are saving for their retirement and for future prosperity. That platform is providing tools that allow advisors to do their jobs better. Mm -hmm. And actually we say internally that our KPI for that business is making advisors more productive in serving their clients. That's mm -hmm. what it's about. You also struck a deal, and I don't know if the product has come out yet, uh, with Lunate over in Abu Dhabi to expand your presence in the Middle East here. Uh, what was the financial commitment to that, and when do we expect to actually see that roll out? So that's another example of innovation. Mm -hmm. So the common denominator across all of these things that you're talking about, Romain, is mm -hmm. innovation. Okay. We're bringing new products to market mm -hmm. to be able to serve our clients better, to be able to serve new clients or in new regions, mm -hmm. in the case that you just raised there. And that's a place where we're taking our world-leading wealth management technology, mm -hmm. and we are partnering with clients that are in the Middle East to be able to provide those services to mm. local clients. Uh, and, and we're excited about how that's going to evolve over time, but it's early days. Is that, is that region a priority for growth right now? 
40% of our revenues as a company approximately come from outside of the United States. So mm. I don't want to be flip, but kind of the world is our oyster when it comes to but looking for new markets. a lot of that is skewed more to Europe rather than to the Middle East or to it, Asia. It, actually, yeah. we serve clients all across the world, including mm. the Middle East. We serve a lot of clients with our global products in the Middle East, but it is a region that's been growing. Mm. Uh, there's more investment available there, and so it's certainly a place where we're trying to help our clients move forward. With regards to the structure of the business, particularly with the investment arm, uh, a lot of people always sort of describe BNY as kind of this umbrella of boutique firms that are all kind of there. I know one of the things that you've said publicly when you took over, as well as Hanukkah Smith, who leads that division, has said publicly about trying to break down some of those silos and having those different boutiques kind of work as one. How much progress have you made on that? When I look across the whole of the company, this is a little bit the story of our more recent past. We have been a firm that has had a series of separate vertically integrated businesses, and they've performed extremely well. They've innovated, they have served their clients. But one of our strategic pillars that we launched a couple of months ago for the company is to be more for our clients. Mm -hmm. And one of the key premises of that is to make sure that we are introducing clients of one business to the other product services and platforms that we actually have. Mm -hmm. And we haven't lived up to our potential as a firm in making sure that all of our clients have access to all of our products and services. And I think mm -hmm. what you're talking about in investment management is just one example of that. And so as we bring our real values of our employees to bear, making sure that we are approaching our company to be commercial, to really drive execution, mm -hmm. uh, we're really seeing the potential to be able to do more for our clients across our services. Are you hiring right now? We're always hiring. Mm -hmm. This year, actually, we uh, had our largest ever campus analyst class joining us. We doubled it from the year before. That infusion of new talent into the company mm -hmm. is an important part of the way forward. So we're always hiring, uh, and, we're, uh, and we're excited for, to be able to continue to grow that campus program, just as one example. Uh, in addition to other uh, products that have either been launched or been talk about, talked about, about a year ago, uh, there was a lot of discussion about the new crypto uh, product. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of discussion about it since, maybe for obvious reasons. But as you know, there's been a lot of discussion about a new Bitcoin ETF coming to market. Um, I think you were listed as a cash custodian for uh, the BlackRock ETF filing here. Uh, where do we stand right now with that? So we're a servicer to many ETF mm -hmm. uh, providers. It's a big source of growth for us, and we're excited to do it, including mm -hmm. in the tokenized market. But our focus in digital assets right from the very beginning has been the technology and the promise of the technology to really uh, power uh, economic development around the world. Tokenization, being able to bring new products into mm -hmm. uh, the market as a result of the ease of use uh, through the digital asset um, technology. Yeah. And that continues to be our main focus. And yeah. I expect that it's going to be pretty significant over time, but we'll have to see. That ease of use, of course, includes more, much more real-time payments, real-time settlements, basically going from however many days it was in the past to effectively you know, zero seconds, uh, as can be uh, done here. Uh, does that aid a business like yours? Do you actually find yourself maybe in a better position when, once we move to a world where those settlements and those uh, transaction lags are, are basically eliminated. Well, digital assets and tokenization is one form of innovation, mm. but you're hitting on something very important, which is real-time payments. Mm. Uh, the clearinghouse has real-time payments rails, and then this year, uh, the Fed now. We're actually the first bank to make payments on the real-time payment rails of the clearinghouse, mm. and we're an early innovator with the Fed as well. I do think there's real promise 
in that technology to be able to make it easier and bring more control for both consumers and businesses to be able to make payments. You don't have to wait with the uncertainty of when will the check clear, as an example, um, or when will the payment leave my account when one's making uh, bill payments. You can have real-time control with real-time payments. And that is that empowers consumers, and I think that that's a great innovation. Uh, I just want to talk quickly about uh, earnings. Uh, your most recent uh, earnings showed a pretty significant rebound from uh, some of the issues that we saw earlier in the year. Uh, is that going to continue? And more importantly, what is sort of the growth narrative that you give to investors right now? Well, the, the key growth narrative for our investors mm -hmm. is that we are a 240-year-old institution that serves 98% of all banks around the world, 90% uh, of Fortune 100 companies, and we are a platforms business that can help them to drive forward. Mm -hmm. And what our clients are seeing, and I'd like to think that our investors are seeing it too, is that there is potential, untapped potential at BNY Mellon, which is really helping us to be able to uh, provide more and better services to our clients. You envision the growth under your leadership will be organic or will it be more of sort of the M&A style that we saw from some of your predecessors? Well, our first order of business in growth, I'm glad mm -hmm. you mentioned growth because mm -hmm. we, we do view ourselves as growing mm -hmm. and we're very proud of our performance this year. We made certain, uh, gave certain outlooks to the market at the beginning of the year and we recently reported that we were on track uh, mm -hmm. for those particular metrics. And so for us, it has been about really making sure that we are making the most of our company. I talked about be more for our clients, mm. but we have two other pillars, run our company better and power our culture. And culture is a super important part of our journey because mm -hmm. we want to attract people to our platform and we want to create that sense of belonging and potential for people to be able to be the best they can be when they're working here at our firm. Well, that brings us, I guess, to workforce uh, issues here. As you know, work from home has been a big topic of conversation amongst uh, all the major corporations here. Uh, how, where do you stand right now with regards to getting your folks back into the office? Well. The short answer is very well. Mm -hmm. uh, we welcomed our people back, and this is quite a while ago. We don't mm -hmm. really talk that much about the topic anymore because mm -hmm. I think we've hit a very good rhythm. Mm -hmm. We do believe in flexibility. Mm -hmm. We want people to be able to uh, mix their lives and their work properly. We're actually doing an experiment this year where for the last two weeks of December, we're focused on our critical client service. We're focused on important priorities, but we've tried to down the tempo of just the internal bureaucracy of running a company. Mm -hmm. And we're giving our people a December recharge period. Mm -hmm. And that's a good example of flexibility. Mm -hmm. People can be here in the office normally, collaborating with colleagues, getting all the benefits of actually uh, being in the office, the mentoring, the paying forward, the development, the energy that you get from being here. But at the same time, there's a certain humanity associated with letting people also make sure that they're focusing on their lives, particularly in important times of year. All right, Robin, we're basically a year into your tenure as CEO, more or less right now. Hopefully there'll be many more years to come. What do you think you've learned over this past year that maybe you didn't know prior to getting this job? Well, it's a real privilege to be a CEO of an institution like BNY Mellon. Uh, I've been proud to serve our people. I'm proud to serve our shareholders. And, and I'm very proud to be able to deliver services to our clients as I represent the company uh, in various different venues around the world. And so to our people, I would say thank you for everything that you've been doing this year. To our clients, I'd say thank you for being clients of ours. And to our shareholders, I'd like to think there's more to come. All right, Robin, really appreciate you taking time for us today. Great to be with you, Romain. Thanks for coming down. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.